Hey everybody, this is your host, Stephanie Miller, and welcome back to another episode of The Killer Kind. I hope everyone has had a great couple of weeks, and I hope you're able to enjoy those last couple weeks of summer, well as well as you can, obviously, during this pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah, so for those asking, which I don't think anyone was, but we had a great vacation, and we had a lot of fun. It wasn't as bad or as stressful, I guess, as I thought it would be, so we had a good time, but I was definitely glad to be back. And plus, I'm happy to be back here with you guys. And this case this week is going to be a tough one, just FYI. I remember hearing about this case because the two killers in this story recorded a video immediately after murdering this innocent girl. And I just remember it being so chilling and just disturbing to watch. And you can definitely find that. I'll try to find a link to the video and include it in the show notes for you so you can watch it yourself. But needless to say, this week's case is going to be, is a tough one for me because it might possibly be my worst nightmare. Just something happening to you while you're home alone. And I probably shouldn't have even covered this one because I'm already a paranoid person when I'm home by myself. (laughs) But oh well, I did it. So here we go. This week's episode is about the murder of Cassie Jo Stodart. Cassie Jo Stodart was born on December 21st, 1989. She was the middle child in her family with a younger brother and an older sister. Although Cassie maintained a relationship with her mother, her and her younger brother lived with their grandmother during their childhood. Cassie and her family lived in Pocatello, Idaho. This was a very small Mormon town in southeast Idaho. I say that to say it's just a simple town with a fairly small population, just to kind of give you an idea. Now, in the fall of 2006, Cassie was just 16 years old and a junior at Pocatello High School. Cassie did have a boyfriend at the time. She was dating a boy named Matt, who went to the same high school as her, and the two had only been dating about five months around this time. And they had your typical high school relationship. The two mainly hung out at Cassie's house and really didn't get to go out a lot. Um, Really didn't get to go out on dates and stuff because Cassie didn't have a car. However, Cassie was trying to save up money to buy her first car. She would babysit her three younger cousins at the house of her aunt and uncle, Allison and Frank Contreras. She was... She wanted to prove that she was responsible enough to take care of her cousins and just responsible enough to work hard and get something that she wanted, like a new car. Now, Frank and Allison lived in Taihe, I hope I said that right, um, Taihe, Idaho, which is about a 15-minute drive away from Cassie's house. So, not far, but she would have to get a ride to their house. It definitely wasn't somewhere she could walk to. Now, that being said, at some point in September, the Contreras family asked Cassie if she would house it for them while they go out of town for the weekend. Now, they wanted her just to watch the house and take care of their three cats and two dogs, from what I understand. And Cassie, and I'm sure Cassie was excited about this. It seemed like a fairly easy way to make money, plus their house was pretty big compared to Cassie's, so I'm sure she was excited about having a big house to herself and also just an opportunity to make more money. So on Friday, September 22nd, Cassie's mom drove her up to her aunt and uncle's house. Now, 
She did ask her aunt and uncle if her boyfriend, Mac, come over and hang out for a little bit just to have some company for the night. And Cassie was a pretty good person. She didn't drink or get into trouble or anything. So they knew she wouldn't throw a house party or anything while they were gone. So they told her that Mac could come over. So Mac comes over that night and the two are just planning on watching a movie together and hanging out for a little bit. However, Matt ends up inviting a couple of guys from school. It was his two friends, Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick. They all knew each other. They all attended the same high school and everything. However, it's known that Brian had a pretty big crush on Cassie. And I believe that he actually expressed that to her at some point. But obviously Cassie was dating Matt, so she was not interested in Brian. Anyways, Cassie was upset with Matt inviting these two guys over because she had only asked for permission to have Matt over. She did not ask if anyone else could come over. So she didn't want to get in trouble in that sense. Plus, too, I'm sure she just wanted, you know, to have Matt to herself. She didn't really want to share his attention with these two guys. But Matt tried to explain that it was fine. They weren't going to do anything. It would just be a chill movie night like they already planned. However, after Brian and Tori got to the house, they told Matt and Cassie that you know, this is lame. I thought we were going to have a party or something. We would rather go watch a movie at the theater instead of sit here and watch one here. So, which obviously that made Cassie pretty excited since she didn't really want them there anyways. So it ends up being just Matt and Cassie after all. And they continue watching a movie together, just cuddled up on the couch like a young 16-year-old couple. (laughs) However, about 15 minutes after Brian and Tori leave, the power in the house goes out. Now, this initially freaks Cassie out, as it probably would anybody right off the bat, which is not that uncommon, but, I mean, like I said, I would freak out too. So, but, I mean, you're in a big house by yourself, where it's dark now, and that can just be a little scary, and I don't blame her. But Matt is just trying to calm her down and explain that it's normal, it's no big deal, the power's just out, it'll come back on soon. So the two just hang out and wait for the power to come back on, which it eventually does, but only about half of the power comes back on. And what I mean is like only a few lights in the house come on, not all of the power, which is very odd, obviously. Now, during the time that the lights were off, Matt called his mom asking if he could stay the night with Cassie just to make sure she's okay and to make her feel more comfortable. Because during the time the power was out, Cassie just got a little freaked out. I mean, it's my understanding that the power probably should not have went out. There is no storm or anything that could have knocked it out. So she was very worried about this and and very upset. Now, because they were so young and in a house all alone, of course, his mom was like, no, absolutely not. I'm sorry, but I'll come pick you up around 11 o'clock like I told you I would. So, of course, Cassie was upset by this and Matt felt terrible, but there was really nothing Matt could do. So, he did his best to comfort Cassie and tell her everything would be okay now that the lights were back on. However, I'll stop and tell you that Matt noticed one of the dogs standing just outside of the basement door and was staring down the basement steps. And he was continuously barking. He would stop and go to Matt and Cassie when they tried to like get his attention and tell him to stop barking. And then he would just go right back to the door and continue barking. Needless to say, get a dog. They almost always know something is up. They know when someone's around, whether you know that or not, and it's just for protection. And when I first was kind of reading this out, I was like home by myself and I was like, okay, I need to stop and not be talking about this when I'm home by myself. 
And luckily I had my dog right behind me the whole time. So anyways, <laughs> anyways. So neither and Cass- neither Cassie nor Matt took it upon themselves to investigate this. I'm not sure if they were just too scared to go check it out or what, but Matt would later say that he just didn't think too much about it at the time. Anyways, Matt's mom pulled up at the house around 11 o'clock to pick him up. Now, he did try asking his mom one more time if he could stay the night with Cassie. He tried explaining all the weird things going on and and just tried to explain the concern and, and you know the scariness of the situation. However, Matt's mom still said no, but she did say that Cassie could come stay at their house and they could bring her back in the morning. However, Cassie said, no, that's not something I need to do because it's my responsibility to watch this house. And if something happens while I'm gone, I just, you know, wouldn't be okay with it. I would just feel bad. So she ends up saying and just saying, you know, thank you, but no, thank you. I need to stay here. So reluctantly, Matt and his mom leave. And Cassie just goes back into the house and decides to curl up on the couch and just sort of hunker down for the night, if you will, and stay in the living room, stay in the most open spot of the house and just watch a movie and try to try to calm down, try to comfort yourself kind of thing. And however, after getting settled down on the couch for a little bit, the lights start flickering on and off and they eventually go out completely for a second time. So now that's all we know for the most part about that Friday night initially. A couple of days later, Cassie's aunt and uncle and her three cousins all return home from their trip out of town for the weekend. Cassie's 13-year-old cousin walks up to the door first, and they notice the front door is slightly open, which is very weird. And unfortunately, her cousin walks into the house to find Cassie lying on the living room floor, covered and surrounded by blood. Cassie appears to have been stabbed to death. And of course, the entire family freaks out and calls 911. Investigators arrive and they begin their investigation. And now initially, they realize that Cassie has been dead for a couple of days. This didn't just happen. So they then have the family take a look around the house to see if anything was taken, thinking maybe this was a burglary gone wrong or something like that. And and no, nothing appears to have been stolen and the house appeared to be normal. Nothing out of sorts except for where Cassie had been killed, obviously. So they were able to rule out this robbery gone wrong situation. And another thing to note was that there was no sign of a forced entry. So the police kind of, you know, the wheels start turning like, Maybe this is somebody Cassie knew, or maybe the intruder was able to enter the home without knocking out a window or breaking a door. Like maybe she had left the door unlocked or something like that. You know, they're just trying to figure out the situation. So with no initial leads, though, they turned to Cassie's boyfriend since they were told that, you know, Cassie's boyfriend, Matt, was allowed to come over there. So he probably did. And oddly enough, when the investigators talked to Matt, he did not seem very emotional which is weird. I mean, when I read that, I was like, excuse me, why? I mean, this is, he seemed to really care about her. It's just a very weird situation. And the investigators asked Matt to describe what all happened that night. And of course, he gave the whole story of Brian and Tori coming over and then leaving to go to a movie. And he explained the power situation and how Cassie was scared and how he tried to stay there, but 
ended up not, you know, the whole story. Now, the police were concerned with these two guys. Matt pretty much had an alibi, but who were these two guys? So they called Brian and Tori and had them both come down to the station to check them out, get an alibi from them, or at least hear if they had the same story as Matt. Now, what do we know about Brian and Tori? Like, who are these guys? So Brian is definitely the more outgoing of the two, but he was not very popular in school. He said that he had a hard time fitting in and and he was just definitely an outcast in his school. Now, one very strange thing about Brian is that he had an odd obsession with the Columbine shooters. These were the kids that went on a shooting spree at their high school back in April of 1999. Um, he basically idolized these guys, you know, because they represented, you know, to him, the outcasts that nobody paid attention to, and they ended up getting revenge on their classmates. And if you are not familiar with the Columbine shooting, I would gladly cover that case in the future if this is something that you guys might be interested in, because this was over 21 years ago now, and I'm sure there are maybe some listeners out there that aren't familiar with the case. So if you want me to cover that, I would love to. Just let me know. But now let's get back to Brian and Tori. So Tori actually was Brian's good friend, and he was the less outgoing one. He was a little more soft-spoken and just just more of a follower and kind of did what everybody else did, just kind of went with the flow. He was definitely not a leader by any means. Um And now, the two also shared a passion for film. They wanted to make movies. They wanted to star in movies. They were, like, self-proclaimed movie critics. And they always learned everything they could about movies they watched. And and they would also film themselves throughout their days. And, like, any big events they had going on, they would record um, and just try to make movies out of their life. So, that's just to kind of give you an idea a little bit of... That's just to give you an idea of who these two guys were. Now, when police brought the two down for questioning, they gave their side of the story. And they told investigators that when they got to the house, they thought it was going to be a house party. So when they got there, there were only two, and they were just planning on watching a movie. It's not something they wanted to do. So instead, they just decided to end up, you know, leave and go watch a movie at the movie theater. Instead of sitting at somebody's house and watching it. They'd rather watch something new, obviously. So, and to back up their story, they did provide police with two movie ticket stubs for the movie Holes. Basically, just trying to prove they were there and they were where they said they were. So, at the time, police wouldn't have any leads. I mean, these guys were pretty much showing them that, you know, they were at the movie theater. They were not there at the house. But... After questioning Matt, Brian, and Tori, they decided to bring them back in because that's really all they had. So, one, because the boyfriend had zero emotion and they just felt that was weird. Then you have these two random guys who just seem to be a little suspicious. I mean, they're not your, you know, they're not the best characters to have in a situation like this. So, they just brought them back in and wanted to kind of grill them a little bit more, if you will. So, they bring Matt in. And they administer a polygraph test. And during the test, they ask him some basic questions about the night. And then they ultimately ask him if he had anything to do with Cassie's murder. 
And he, of course, says no. And he does end up passing the test. And it appears that he truly had nothing to do with it. So investigators direct their attention back to Tori and Brian. And just see if they can press them for more information or see if there's anything they left out of the story, you know, things like that. Now, when they interview Brian, they interview him alone, and police ask him again what he did that night. Now, he tells the same story that he and Tori leave the house that Cassie and Matt were at and go to the movie theater to see a movie. Now, police are like, okay, well, what movie did you go see? Brian says, oh, I don't really remember. I think it was a scary movie or something. Okay. (laughs) So police are like, okay, do you remember what it was about? Or do you remember who was in the movie? Like the actors or anything? Brian again says, no, I don't really remember. I just remember thinking it was lame and boring and I was kind of ready to go. Now, if you remember, Brian and Tori claimed to love movies. They love to learn all the ins and outs. They are movie critics, if you will. So for somebody like them to not remember anything about a movie they just watched in theaters is a little suspicious, don't you think? So the police decide to investigate this a little bit more because at this point they know he's being even more suspicious and he's probably lying. So they go down to the movie theater that Brian and Tori said they went to and they found the girl who had worked the ticket booth the Friday night of the murder. So they asked her if she had known these two guys. And she said that she did, that she went to the same school as them. But when police asked her if the two guys had come to the theater that night, she said no. She said, I was the only one letting everybody in, so I definitely would have remembered them coming through here. Now, immediately, police know that Brian and Tori are lying. So they call Brian back down to question him for a third time. But this time when he comes to the station... He's a little less chatty. He appears to be upset and just a little quieter than he was previously. Now, as soon as police sit him down, he starts to cry. He breaks down. Now, I'm sure the investigators wanted to do like a fist pump thing. I'm sure they were ecstatic when this started to happen because that's the one thing you want when you're investigating someone is for them to break down because you know a confession is probably coming. And so they're thinking, great, he's going to spill the beans. He's going to tell what really happened that night. And that's exactly what happened. Brian says that at some point when the four of them are at the house, he gets up to go to the bathroom. However, he really just went downstairs to unlock the back door. Now, he explains that initially him and Tori just wanted to scare Matt and Cassie and just play a prank on them. They had no bad intentions at the time, and Brian goes on to say that when they told Matt and Cassie that they were leaving to go to the movie theater, that they really went around the back of the house and and got ready to play this prank on them. So they put on like these creepy clown masks, and to add to the prank, quote-unquote, they were going to pull on their two friends. They put on black clothing, and they also brought knives. Now... To me, you don't bring real knives to just pull a prank on somebody. It definitely seemed way more sinister than what Brian was trying to let on. But he tells police that the knives were just to make it more realistic and they weren't intending on using these knives to hurt anyone. But obviously, I don't buy that. 
Anyways, once they put everything on and grabbed the knives, they went in through the back door that Brian had unlocked earlier, and it led them through to the basement. Now, Brian said they just hung out there for a little bit to wait for the right time, and that's when they noticed the breaker box. So they were like, perfect, let's mess with the lights and really kind of freak them out. Now, he says that he expected the two of them to come down to the basement to check the circuit box. Then they would just jump out and scare them. That was the plan. And that would be the end of it, pretty much. But obviously, that's not what happened. And before they knew it, Matt ends up leaving. So they decide to just mess with Cassie and just continue messing with her. And at the same time, they thought, the same thing would happen that eventually she would come down to check the circuit box and they would just jump out and scare her and that would be the end of it. However, we know that again did not happen. Now, it was during this time that Brian tells police that Tori kind of started getting mad and was getting like pumped up and saying that he wanted to kill Cassie and saying like he has to do it. I need to kill her, you know, just kind of getting hyped up. So the two end up going up the basement stairs to find Cassie. And when they do, Brian says that Tori is the one who attacks her and starts stabbing her. Brian tries to put all the blame on Tori, obviously. I mean, don't they always? But Brian does later admit that he did stab Cassie a couple of times because Tori told him to and he was scared of Tori at the time because of how crazy he was acting. After they kill Cassie, he says they gather up all the evidence or everything they can they can, and they go to a wooded area and bury all of the evidence. So obviously police need to find this buried evidence. So Brian ends up taking them to the spot he told them about, and they dig everything up. It ends up being a ton of stuff. Um, Number one, there are a ton of knives, all different shapes and sizes, all appear to have been used. And then there's also a pair of boots a pair of rubber gloves, a box of matches, and then there's also a melted hydrogen peroxide bottle. And they end up finding also, and most importantly, a video recorder, which this recorder had the VHS tape still inside. This is ultimately the jackpot for police. When they get this tape and watch it, it appears to be a recording of the entire process of the murder. Idiots. (laughs) Anyways, it was a video of their whole day. It was, like I said earlier, this is something that they did all the time. They recorded themselves throughout the day, no matter what day. I'm assuming not every day ended in murder, but here we are. Towards the beginning of the video, they record themselves sitting at a table and writing out like what all they're going to do, what supplies they need, how it's going to go down, who their victim is, and As if it's not disturbing enough, they actually mention that their victim is, quote-unquote, unfortunately, one of our friends. Sorry, Cassie, but it has to happen. I mean, they go on to say, like, how big, how she's going to be in a big house and be all secluded by herself and, and just how perfect can you get. I mean, just bragging and being, like, pumped up about this. It's so disturbing to watch. So, the video shows their whole day leading up to the murder and... They didn't videotape the actual murder. However, they do record themselves immediately after. And in that part of the video, they're just like freaking out. They 
they're saying that, or Brian is saying that, I just killed Cassie. Like, oh my God, I stabbed her in the throat. It's crazy. And just freaking out. And he says that he, and they repeat actually several times that they just killed Cassie and how they want to go down in history like Ted Bundy or another like famous serial killer and how they need to like up their game and, and kill more people. I mean, they're really just digging themselves the biggest hole possible. But then at some point, Tori says that they need to like calm down and get their act together so they don't give anything away. And the whole thing, like I said, is just so disturbing to watch because, I mean, who talks like this about killing someone? It just blows my mind. But the only part of the video I could not find was, I mean, excuse me, the only part of the video, now the only part of the video I could find was a minute-long compilation of them driving to the house talking about what they're going to do, and then it cuts to them leaving the house bragging about what they did. I've included that link to the YouTube video in the show notes of today's episode, so And I haven't done this before, so if you have any trouble with the link, just go to YouTube and you can find it pretty easily. But just be prepared that it's kind of hard to watch. Now, needless to say, the police learned that this was not some prank and that the two boys thought... Now, needless to say, this is... Needless to say, the police learned that this was not some prank the boys thought of while at the house with Matt and Cassie. This was obviously premeditated and planned out the entire time. And not even a week after the murder, on September 27th, both Brian and Tori were arrested for the murder of Cassie Joe Stoddart. The case goes to trial, of course, and all these two end up doing is really just pointing the finger at one another. Tori claims that he thought it was just a joke the whole time. He didn't really take it serious, and he didn't think that anybody would actually get hurt. And the two boys did obviously have separate trials, and in Brian's case, he tried to say that the videotape was a movie they were filming, that all of this was acting. None of it was real. But in Tori's trial, his defense was that Brian was the only one who admitted to stabbing Cassie in the video, and the physical evidence only points to Brian, meaning in Cassie's, Cassie's DNA was only found on one knife, one pair of gloves, and one shirt. And all of those items were apparently only worn by one person, being Brian. And another important thing to note here is that they actually discovered four male DNA under Cassie's right-hand fingernails and two male DNA under her left-hand fingernails. And it was only Brian's DNA that was found under both her right and left hand. Under her both, under both her right hand and left. And it was only Brian's DNA that was found under both Cassie's right and left hand fingernails. And Tori's DNA was not found under her fingernails at all. So, obviously, Tori's defense team strongly pushed the lack of evidence and said that Tori was not the one who actually killed Cassie. However, in the end, both Brian and Tori were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, they did both go on to try to appeal their cases and... Both appeals were denied. Brian tried to say that 
there was some violations in the trial based on his last interview with police. His parents were not present. However, evidence showed that he signed a waiver. The police read him his rights. They did everything by the book. And at some point, he did ask for his parents, and the interview concluded, and and he was allowed to have his parents there. So that was denied. There was no basis behind it. And in Tory's appeal, he tried to say basically again that look, there's nothing proving that I was there. There's nothing proving that I had anything to do with this, not even the videotape. I didn't even admit to being inside the house or admit to hurting Cassie at all. And then he tried to say that, you know, his counsel, his lawyers and stuff did not try to suppress the evidence or suppress his involvement at all. And so he tried to blame his lawyers and stuff. And basically, again, the judge was like, no, inaccurate. You don't have a basis behind that end of story. Appeal denied. <laughs> so, needless to say, these guys are in jail for life. They're in prison forever, and I think they're exactly where they need to be. But that's it, guys. That's the conclusion of the case of Cassie Joe Stoddart. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you liked this episode. Again, I know this was a little tough. Um, it was hard to hear, but because Cassie was so young and just, just kind of a scary thought and everything surrounding this case, basically everybody calls it the Scream case because it's kind of treated like that movie, the movie Scream and just kind of how they taunt the girl and everything. So again, I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or any feedback on the case please head over to the podcast instagram like i always say it's killer.kind.pod i would love to hear some feedback from you otherwise that's it for me guys i will see you back here in two weeks stay safe and i'll talk to you later bye <laughs>